0: So last uh, week I gave you these um, these handwritten uh, letters. Um, I wanted you to read the Book of Philippians uh, like the Philippians would have read it as a uh, as a handwritten letter from a pastor to a congregation. And um, uh, so those of you that uh, took that home and you read that, you've got a head start on our scripture reading um, this. Uh, this morning. Hopefully you've thought about it a little bit and and kind of brought it here with you. And for next week, I've written out uh, chapter 2, and I'll send those home with you uh, as a handwritten letter uh, from your pastor. Um, So now we're going to read Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 30. Hear now the word of our Lord. Now I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. It was Friday afternoon. We had um, packed up the car with our suitcases, and we were getting ready to uh, pick up the kids a little early from school, and we were going to go to Washington, D.C. and uh, do a short weekend trip. Now, we had taken uh, these kinds of mini vacations before, Um, But today was very different. See, on this particular Friday afternoon, both Crystal and I were terrified. We held hands in the car before we went to pick up the kids from school, and we said a prayer together. We prayed that God would protect us, protect our family. And we did that because we knew someone was trying to kill us. Now, um, Crystal, because of her work as a court advocate for victims of domestic violence, um, often finds herself dealing with death threats. And um, that's that's just part of her job. Um, she's always uh, standing next to the victim when they're in court, and, uh, and that makes her a target. And usually, it doesn't really seem to bother her as much as it bothers me, right, as her husband. Um, she, uh, she sort of lets these uh, death threats roll off her back um, because she knows that, that they're usually empty words uh, meant to scare her, and Crystal doesn't scare very easily. This particular one was different. see earlier that week, um, the uh, police had recorded a uh, a, a conversation um, uh, from uh, the local jail. so Crystal was in the middle of this trial, trying to help this uh, this uh, young woman um, break uh, free from her abuser and find justice and um, and, uh, and the, the, the people that, uh, that, that she was ticking off in jail, uh, they were having this conversation with their family. And the guy says, um, that woman who's helping her, he doesn't say woman, right? That woman who's helping her, she's not going to make it to court. And, and then he says, because I've taken a contract out on her. Imagine that for just a second, that you hear someone has paid a hitman to kill your wife. Imagine you suddenly realize that puts you and your family in danger. What would you do? So we did the only thing we knew how to do was to uh, get the heck out of Dodge, right? And so uh, we pack uh, everything up and we decide uh, that this would be a good weekend to get away. And so we do that. But it's the most nerve-wracking drive I've ever taken, this drive to D.C. You know, every, uh, every car that's behind me on the interstate, um, is that car following me or just going the same place I'm going? Right? And we go to the Smithsonian Museums the next day and we're trying to enjoy ourselves, but, you know, every character we see in a hoodie, right? What's that guy doing? What's his deal? You walk from the hotel to uh, the parking garage. What's going to be waiting for us there when we get there? Uh, Later, are we just going to go to pump our brakes? And they don't work. Right? There's all this stuff swirling around in our heads, this whole mess of uncertainty and we have all these conversations over the course of a weekend when the kids are distracted and we get this chance to talk together and there are these conversations about is this really worth it this life is it, is it really worth crystal doing this job if it's if it's if it's going to put her in this kind of danger right She's got a big uh, court date on Wednesday. Should she even go? Knowing these people are going to be there. So we leave Washington, D.C. We're going home. We have absolutely no idea what is going to happen. and We have absolutely no idea what we're going to do when we get there. Have you ever been there? I mean, I pray no one has put a hig out on you, but um, if you've got family uh, who work in law enforcement, maybe you've been through this exact thing, but have you ever been in that place where everything is up in the air, your, your entire life seems uncertain and you don't know what are we going to do next? What is going to happen to me? Have you ever been there? Maybe you've spent um, uh, the whole week keeping yourself busy because you're waiting on this phone call. You know, the phone call, the one that tells you what the lab results are. And when uh, and you finally get the phone call, and the result you hear is not the result you want to hear. And suddenly, it's like the bottom falls out. And you think, what am I going to? to do and you're in this cloud of uncertainty and you you don't know what's going to happen to you maybe you just lost your job you weren't expecting it it's not like you were slacking off or anything right there were no tea leaves to read it's just one morning thunderclap out of a bright blue sky and 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 The boss calls you into his office and uh, just hands it to you straight and you weren't expecting it. And you're thinking to yourself, what am I going to do? I've got to go home and tell my family. What am I going to say? How am I going to tell them it's going to be all right? What am I going to do? Well, maybe you, you find out something about someone close to you. Something that really, like, it it makes you reconsider who they are. And the closer you are to this person, it it even makes you reconsider who you are a little bit. And you don't know what to do with with, with this information. And it feels the same way, like like, like a death a little bit. And you think to yourself, what am I going to do? what is going to happen next. If you've ever felt that way, you know exactly what the Apostle Paul was going through. See, he couches it in brave language, right? He says, I rejoice, I rejoice. Uh, He says, whatever happens to me, Jesus Christ be praised, right? But he's sitting there in prison, and he doesn't know what's going to happen to him next. He doesn't know whether he's going to live or whether he's going to die. Now when we picture Paul in prison, we can't help it, right? I don't know whether um it's because we saw like uh like in a children's bible a painting somewhere but I know you have the same image in your head that I do, right? I can't help it. Like he's in this gray, dirty cell with these bars. Uh, he's, he's like in this, this tattered robe. He's got this long beard, and maybe there's like one little tiny window up there with bars in it too. And he, he's got a chain, maybe one of those big iron balls he's got to drag around, right? Uh, Roman prisons, um, the one that Paul was in, wasn't quite like that. It was more like a camp. Right, he would have been in a tent somewhere. Right? Um, have you ever seen those, like those FEMA camps or those uh, those uh, um, uh, refugee camps? It's like that kind of thing, right? And so, so everyone's being kept in these uh, in, in these little tents. Um, they're free to have visitors, um, and uh, every now and then they get to leave the camp, um, chained to uh, chained to a guard so that they can't get away. Um, but but they get to sort of exist and live a life in the camp. You might think, that doesn't sound that bad. But the real prison is not, not the walls and the bars. The real prison is the uncertainty of the, what's going to happen to me? Because as Paul tries to go about his life, not knowing whether he's ever going to be free of that camp, not knowing whether, uh, whether um, the Romans are just going to decide to execute him. He has to continue to go about his daily business in there, not knowing in that place of uncertainty, what is going to happen to me, what am I going to do next? And so as he writes to the Philippians, uh, he's, uh, he's putting on this brave face. He, he's, he's couching it in brave language. He says, now whatever happens to me, Christ will be glorified. If I get to live, I'll get to serve my Jesus. And if I die, I'll get to be with my Jesus, right? That's what Paul means when he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? Right? Whatever happens, I know Jesus is in control. I'm not, and, and, and I'm, I'm, just go, I'm just going to live into that. But you've got to know, there's got to be some inner turmoil going on beneath the surface. It doesn't matter how good a Christian you are. When you're in that sort of situation, you've got that inner turmoil going on just a little bit. But Paul doesn't show it, right? This is to live as Christ, to die is gain. Do you know people like that? Like, whatever they're going through, they just seem to be at peace, right? They can be up on the mountain, they can be down in the valley, their house can be like being foreclosed on, right? And uh, they're thanking God for the blue sky, right? Um, those people that they just always seem, no matter what they're going through, like they're, they're at peace, right? They've got that inner serenity. And if you're like me, there's a part of you that really admires that, right? And there's another part of you that really wants to punch them in the face, <laughs> right? I'm a singer. I'm just admitting that to you, right? Um, the, the, there's a part of you that, that just wants to shake them and say, wake up. Don't you see what's going on around you? Things are not good right now. I wonder if any of the Philippians felt that way. I wonder if any of Paul's friends felt that way. Look around you. You don't know what's going to happen. Right now, somewhere in a palace somewhere, they're deliberating about you. They're they're, they're trying to decide whether to kill you or not, or or just to, to, to turn you loose again. Right? Wake up, Paul! And, and all Paul is guilty of doing is proclaiming the gospel. But in Rome at that time, that's a seditious act. It comes down to this. Caesar is Lord. And so if you're the guy that's going out there proclaiming Christ as Lord, you've got a problem. Caesar is the son of the gods. So if you're the guy out there proclaiming Jesus as God's only son, you've got a problem, right? And so Paul, is, uh, he's in prison for proclaiming the gospel. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. He doesn't know what his fate is going to be. And on the outside, he's just keeping it cool. You know why? Because he's a pastor. And pastors feel like they kind of got to be good role models. Right? And Pastor and Pastor Paul is trying to role model for the Philippians what it looks like to go through a time of trial because he knows they're going to go through a time of trial too. He gives it away uh, at the very um, end of this uh of this passage we read. Um, uh, verse, uh, verse 27. Whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Right? He wants the people not to be frightened. Don't be scared. Look at my example. Look how I'm facing this life or death crisis. Do that. Don't be scared. Stand firm. Uh, earlier in the passage, he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. Right? I'm praying. I'm hoping that I have courage in this moment so that you will have courage in your moment. That's a good pastor, right? He's just modeling for his people. I want you to see what courage in the face of adversity looks like so you can do the same thing, right? But that's hard. How do we show courage? Many of us think of courage as the opposite of fear, right? Right? Fear is on one side of the continuum, and then courage is on the other. Fear, the opposite, is bravery. You know what the opposite of fear is? Stupidity. The opposite of fear is stupidity, right? People who are afraid understand what's going on around them, right? People who are up too high on a ledge, and they look down, and they're afraid, right? That's healthy right? That's your body telling you, get the heck away from the ledge. <laughs> Keep us safe, right? The opposite of fear is stupidity. Courage is not never being afraid. Courage is being afraid and going ahead anyway. Courage is managing that fear, right? It's not, it's, 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 it's not as if to, uh, to, to, to be good Christians. We're never afraid, right? To be good Christians. We take that fear, we acknowledge it, and we go forward anyway. See, here's what Paul says, verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, whatever you go through, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ right? It's scary. You don't know what's going to happen. Everything's upside down. Do the right thing. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then you don't have to worry, right? Just do what you're called to do. Martin Luther King Jr. said, it's always the right time to do the right thing. That's true, isn't it? It's always the right time to do the right thing. See, we get so paralyzed by fear sometimes. When we're in this state of uncertainty, we just wind up going around in circles. We find ourselves paralyzed and we get in this little spiral and we get depressed and we don't go out and we don't do anything. And God's message to us through Paul is keep calm and carry on, right? Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel no matter what happens. No matter what you go through, it's always the right time to do the right thing. Sometimes people say, like particularly when you're uh, talking about like Nazi Germany in the 40s, right? The Nazis would come into town and they would force people to do things, give up their neighbors, um, work in these concentration camps. And you hear people say, well, you know, they really didn't have a choice, right? They didn't have a choice. They, they, they had to go along, right? It, 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 was, it was do what the Nazis asked them to do or die. They didn't have a choice. Well, you know what? That's a choice. Do the right thing or die. That is a choice. We may not like that choice. We, we, we may resent that that choice has, has been forced on us, but that is a choice. We always have the choice to do the right thing. We always have the choice to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. There is so much out there we cannot control. There is so much out there that's swirling around that we just, we can't do anything to change. What we can control is what we do. What we can control is who we are. What we can control is who, who we are called to, to be in the world and to do that. That is our choice. And that's the choice that Paul's making as, as, as he sits in this prison camp in Rome. Whatever happens, I'm going to conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Um, there's this guy named Pastor Martin, who uh, Nienholler, Martin Nienholler, and he was a uh, he was a Lutheran uh, priest um, in Germany during the 1940s. He was very outspoken against Adolf Hitler, and he winds up being jailed for treason. Now, as you can imagine, uh, the penalty for treason uh, there is death, right? And so uh Martin the is uh is is singing in prison. Uh he's been imprisoned for treason. And he's got this friend who's also a Lutheran priest. And the friend wants to talk sense into him, right? Because he knows that if if, if Martin just recants, if he just apologizes, if he just decides to do the little salute, right, that uh that that, that, that they'll turn him loose. And so uh so Martin's friend uh, goes to visit him in prison, and we sees, uh, when he sees Father Martin, he says, "Friend, what are you doing in there?" Then Martin knee and holler, looks at uh, his friend outside of the bars, and he says, "Friend, what are you doing out there?" See, they've each made their choices, haven't they we always, 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 always have a choice to do the right thing, to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. There's so much we can't control, but that is the one thing we can, who we are in the world, who we are in the face of life, that we get to control. There was a monk in 425 A.D., Um, I I wrote this down on a piece of paper because I always mess this up. Uh, Telemachus. Telemachus was the monk in 425 AD. Now, um, Telemachus was not the father of modern telemarketers, but Telemachus um, was a monk who was uh, raised um, in a uh, monastery uh, from a very early age sort of taking under the wing of these monks. And this monastery sat just outside of um, the largest, most busy city in the world, Rome. And, uh, and, and Telemachus had never been to Rome. He had only known the, the inside of those cloister walls and, and, and those prayers and those chants. And he had fallen in love with God. But, but, but one day when he was an adult, he decided, you know, I really need to see the world figure out what all the fuss is about. And so one day he leaves the monastery and he goes to Rome. And faithfully, that day uh, was a day there was a big celebration in Rome. They had just defeated the Goths. And so so everyone was excited. Uh, The emperor was throwing a big celebration. And so it was a great day to be visiting Rome. Um, uh, Everyone was celebrating. And uh, Telemachus was just uh, following the crowds. And as he follows the crowds, uh, he follows them up into the Roman Colosseum. And uh, he really, never been outside the monastery, he doesn't know what he's about to witness the spectacle. And so they're throwing this big celebration and they've got like a hundred gladiators that day that are going to fight. And um, it's not like professional wrestling, it's real, right? Um, They're all there to fight to death. And so um, these gladiators march in in their armor with their spears and axes and swords and shields and everyone cheering. And they all face the emperor's little box and, and they do this salute and, uh, and then uh, they go at it. And Telemachus is dumbfounded. Right? It doesn't take long before the blood starts spilling. And everyone around him is enjoying this. They're they're clapping, they're shouting, they're yelling. And and Telemachus uh, yells, in the name of Jesus, stop! But no one can hear him. There's just so uh, so much frenzy in the crowd. And so he tries again, in the name of Jesus, stop! No one can hear him. And so instinctively, without even thinking about it, he just sort of uh, jumps out of the stands and then he's on the field, right, in the middle of all these gladiators fighting and he's yelling, in the name of Jesus, stop! And everyone in the crowd, they think like he's part of the act at first, like he's a clown or something. And so they're laughing. But he keeps yelling, in the name of Jesus, stop! Suddenly, a sword goes through his heart. And everyone gasps. And the, the, the guy that had just uh, just stabbed Telemachus, he drops his sword. See, he's wearing his, his, his habit and everything. They know he's a monk. They know he's a man of God. And, and everyone's just dumbfounded at what just happened. And the crowd is silent. And all the soldiers stopped their fighting for just a second. And one by one, people began to leave the Colosseum. And that day was the last day they ever had gladiator fights in the Roman Colosseum. Because one man stood up and said, in the name of of Jesus, stop. So, Crystal and I were driving back to um, uh, Radford from Washington, D.C. There was no talking sense into her. I tried. I'm here to tell you, I tried, but. She was going to court on Wednesday, and she was doing what she does, um, come hell or high water. And little did we know, that moment, in a police station somewhere, uh, our hitman was turning himself in, said, um, I took the money, but I, I couldn't go through with it. That story had a happy ending. Paul, that Roman prison, winds up being beheaded. That's the point. You don't know how it's going to turn out. I wish I could just tell you, you know, just believe hard enough and and Jesus will never let any bad thing happen to you. But that is not what we are promised. Paul tells the Philippians, you get to suffer with Christ as you've seen me suffer for Christ. We don't get to know how it's going to turn out. We're not in charge of that. We don't control all this swirling around us. We don't control what the crowd around us does. The only thing we get to control is who we are in the world. And you and I as the church, we are called to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.